If you've ever wanted to spend time in Jerusalem, the perfect occasion and some of the nicest weather happens during the great biblical feast of Passover. This is your invitation to join me in Israel from the 11th to the 16th of April. We'll be in the Holy City for Resurrection Sunday with time for worship and touring before we travel to the Galilee and hold a prophetic Passover supper in the Bible village of Cana. Each day we'll have special guest speakers and time of fellowship, prayer, and healing. For details to register, visit our website at exploits.tv. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. What is a worldview? It's the total mindset of everything we believe to be true. It's our individual belief system and how we interpret reality. Many millions of professing Christians reveal a very diluted biblical worldview. Their concern focuses mainly and daily on their own family, their work, and their community. Because they haven't fully grasped God's plan for the world, they're not very active in fulfilling their part in God's global plan. So how can you develop a biblical worldview that also includes a solid understanding of end-time prophecy? Shalom, I'm Christine Darig. Whether consciously or subconsciously, we all have been conditioned to hold some sort of worldview. Each of us has a unique worldview based upon what we've been taught by our parents and molded by the set of circumstances that have happened to each one of us. A toddler's worldview is very simple. He sees himself as the center of the universe. A secular humanist believes the material world is all that matters. And many religious people have a worldview called karma, meaning they think their good deeds will result in a happier reincarnation, but their bad deeds will result in bad karma and a debased rebirth. On the other hand, somebody with a biblical worldview holds truths based upon this infallible Word of God. A biblical worldview makes the standard of God's Word the foundation of everything we think, say, and do. A Bible believer is taught to look at the world through the lens of the Creator. On the other hand, a natural evolutionist believes that the universe began billions of years ago and that life began probably as bacteria and has been evolving ever since. Deists believe that God created the universe, but allowed natural processes to originate life and drive evolution. As believers, if we're not diligent, our minds can be taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, as well as human traditions. It's vitally important to develop strong convictions, firmly rooted in Scripture, especially in the face of much apostasy in the churches and corruption in society today. 
Thankfully, it's not our job to save this world. We're just supposed to save souls and rescue as many as we can. God's wanting to raise up champions of truth in a world filled with half-truths, lies, and deceptions. A recent survey by the Barner Research Group determined that only 4% of Americans claim to have a biblical worldview. George Barner used the following questions in his survey. Answer yes or no. Do absolute moral truths exist? Yes or no. Is absolute truth defined by the Bible? Yes or no. Did Jesus live a sinless life? Yes or no. Is God the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe who still rules it today? Yes or no, is salvation a gift from God that cannot be earned? Yes or no, is Satan real? Answer yes or no, does a Christian have a responsibility to share his or her faith with other people? Yes or no, is the Bible accurate in all of its teachings? Well, I'm wondering if you answered yes to those questions. I answered yes to every one, but only 9% of born-again believers did. That means their worldview does not necessarily add up to what this Bible teaches. For yes, absolute moral truths do exist, and yes, absolute truth is defined by the Bible. Jesus did live a sinless life, qualifying Him to be our Savior. And yes, the Bible teaches that God is all-powerful and the all-knowing creator of the universe who still rules it today. Salvation is a gift from God that cannot be earned. And yes, believers have a responsibility to share our faith. We must have a real and true authority in this world, and Jesus taught us to respect the Holy Scriptures. After His resurrection in Luke chapter 24, Jesus appeared to his disciples and unveiled the scriptures to them. Starting with verse 44, he explained, Everything must be fulfilled that's written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he told them, This is what is written in the Hebrew Bible. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and in his name, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. He said, you are witnesses of these things. So Jesus taught that a biblical worldview encompasses the necessity for the Messiah to die, to suffer a sacrificial death, and then to rise from the dead. Rather than immediately ruling the world from King David's throne, it was first necessary in the plan of God for Jesus to suffer in order to reconcile the world with a righteous God. In developing a biblical worldview, John 3.16 is a key verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, fallen mankind desperately needs a Savior. For Romans 3.23, 
teaches that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But through belief in Jesus and repentance from sin, anybody can be reconciled with God and receive the gift of eternal life. So after his resurrection, Jesus continued to open the scriptures to his disciples. I wonder if we value the scriptures as much as Jesus did. If the first disciples had to have their minds open to the Bible, we also do. You see, this book is a sealed book. We can't pick it up and just automatically assume that we can understand it. It's our duty to search the scriptures prayerfully. And then the Lord, by the spirit of revelation, enables us to understand it. So Jesus carefully taught not only that it was necessary for him to die, but secondly, he said that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And that excites me. Why beginning here at Jerusalem? Because Jesus understood divine order. In the prophecies of the book of Isaiah, God said, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, and the law shall go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Why? Because Jerusalem is ground zero where the gospel facts happen. And one of my ministry's foundational verses is along this lines, Acts 1.8, where we're told, You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. So the disciples began at ground zero and preached the risen Savior. They preached repentance and remission of sins in his name, to the end of the earth. But I want to carefully note that even though Jesus died for all the world, not everyone is automatically saved from sin. This is because each individual is created with a free will. Each person must hear the good news and decide whether or not they will repent and turn from darkness to light to receive Jesus as their personal Savior. And thankfully, the Bible teaches that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, a biblical worldview sees the world as a great harvest field to be harvested for the Lord. And Jesus clearly stated this in Matthew 13, 38. He said, the field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the weeds in this world are the children of the evil one. The Lord commissioned his followers to make disciples in all of the continents, Europe, Asia, Africa, Australia, North and South America, and the islands of the sea are seen by God as a great harvest field. And Jesus said, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, for the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into the harvest. And this must be our worldview, that great spiritual harvests are ready to be gathered. There are people who've never once had the opportunity to hear the message of salvation. There are billions of human beings on earth who've never heard the good news of salvation. Even in great cities where many churches exist, many people have yet to hear about Jesus. 
Where are the gospel laborers? Well, many hesitate for any number of reasons. And many believers have never envisioned the biblical worldview. Some are discouraged by seemingly closed doors, but I've learned many times, as did the Apostle Paul in the Bible, that closed doors are used by God to direct us elsewhere, even to ripe spiritual harvest fields. Another important part of a biblical mindset is to watch for the second coming of Jesus and understand Israel and the church. You see, God called Abraham to be the father of the nation of Israel and the father of faith. God said in Genesis 12 to Abraham, I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And God said, I will bless them that bless you and curse him down to the individual that curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God promised Abraham that all the nations would be blessed by coming to the knowledge of the true God. So God set up the nation of Israel to teach the nations to be a minority, to serve the majority. Jesus understood God's plan when he said in John 4, 22, that salvation proceeds from the Jewish people. And God used Israel as a platform to reveal his plan of redemption for the world. The plain truth of Scripture is that when the full number of the Gentiles is saved from amongst the nations, Jesus will return and will raise his saints and gather them to himself. And he will gather the scattered tribes of Israel back to their own land. He came the first time in person, so he will come the second time in person, literally to set up the Davidic kingdom and literally to reign over the earth because the scriptures prophesy all of this. Now, evangelicals believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah promised in the Hebrew Bible in passages such as Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, Daniel 9.26, Micah 5.2, Zechariah 9.9, and so forth. Evangelicals believe that these scriptures were literally fulfilled in the life and ministry of Jesus. But unfortunately, due to poor teaching in the churches, not every evangelical believes in a literal, personal second advent of Messiah to reign over the earth in glory. Although the scriptures teach these things, unfortunately, not every evangelical believes as part of their personal worldview in a literal restoration of Judah and Israel in the Holy Land. Sadly, many don't believe in a literal rebuilding and restoration of Zion and Jerusalem, even though prophecies concerning the restoration of Israel should be taken in their plain, literal sense just as prophecies concerning Jesus' first coming are taken literally. Would we dare to say to the Jewish people that the names Zion, Jerusalem, Israel, Jacob, Judah, Ephraim don't apply to the Jewish people? Would we dare apply them to the church instead? But many do. Will believers dare to say that the glorious kingdom and restoration of the nation of Israel so often prophesied in the Bible, only mean nothing more than the gradual Christianization of the world? 
The prophesied scattering of the Jewish people was literal, and so also will be their regathering. Pulling down and destruction of Zion was literal in 70 AD, but so also the building up of Zion and the restoration of Jerusalem in our day is literally true. The rejection of Israel was literal for a season. So also is the literal restoration of Israel as taught in Romans chapter 11 and so many other scriptures. So a proper biblical worldview will cultivate the habit of reading Bible prophecy with a single eye to the literal meaning of its proper names. We must cast aside the old erroneous replacement theology purporting that the names in the Bible of Jacob, Israel, Jerusalem, and Zion must always be applied to the church and that all the prophecies about the second coming of Jesus are to be taken spiritually. While the first Advent predictions were taken literally, I deeply appreciate what Bishop R.C. Ryle of Liverpool taught the church. He said, let's be just and honest and fair. If we expect the Jews to take the 53rd chapter of Isaiah literally about Jesus, then you be sure to take Isaiah chapters 54, 60, and 62 literally also about Israel. Isaiah 54, 60, portions of Isaiah 61 and chapter 62 describe the future blessings, glory, and salvation of Zion. I urge you to study them and include them in your worldview. Meanwhile, no nation is closed to the power of the Holy Spirit because of the penetration of prayer. Prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit can reach any nation regardless of politically closed borders or laws forbidding the spread of the gospel. And there's the element of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit through dreams and visions about Jesus. Now, how to develop a biblical worldview? My advice is to study the Word of God on a daily basis and also to get into the presence of great believers and great congregations. It's important to fellowship regularly with believers who manifest the greatness in God to which you humbly aspire. Because Proverbs 27.17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And we tend to become like the people with whom we fellowship. I'm eternally grateful to mentors with whom I've ministered in many countries when I first began to step out in ministry. If you want spiritual strength, associate with people who are spiritually strong. If you value evangelism in your worldview, end-time prophecy, intercession, and the healing ministry, associate with leaders who carry these anointings. You could spend many years studying how to be a surgeon, but without time spent in the operating room with a master surgeon, you're not going to do very well. That's equally important. So observing ministries of great leaders close hand has been more valuable to me than book learning. Much spiritual knowledge can not just be taught, but is caught when we spend time with great men and women of God. Great believers are creative, and so many of their ideas originate at the throne of God. 
and their faith is contagious. It's vital to discuss our dilemmas and our visions with trusted, proven, great believers. As a matter of fact, on a number of occasions, I've gone to extraordinary lengths to get myself in the presence of great men and women of God. I've even invested in resources to be able to travel with them just to be in their company. And these associations have resulted in being catapulted by God into the next level of his plans and purposes for my life and ministry. You see, watching a great person handle delicate situations, dealing with opposition, listening to their prayers, and hearing the level of the prophetic voice coming through them, or watching them minister to the sick, observing their discernment and ability to do deliverance and so forth. All of these are some of life's valuable lessons. So let's be open and willing to go and be used anywhere by God. Get a passport. It never ceases to amaze me when people sometimes say they'd like to come with us on one of our prayer journeys in Israel. They don't have a passport. While it's true that every believer is called to share the gospel with others, right where they're planted, some will receive a special call from God to go to other cultures to be a light in another part of the world. And God is the one who ordains you, not man. Jesus has chosen you, whether you're a man or a woman, to be part of his plan for reaching the world. Jesus said in John 15, 16, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Hallelujah. So he's ordained that we will bring forth spiritual fruit from the world's harvest fields. He's promised to supply everything we need to complete our task. And as we continue to develop a biblical worldview, we become an active part in God's plan for the world. And you can reach the world through your prayer closet. God says he searches the earth for an intercessor to stand in the gap between him and lost souls, sinners. He found no intercessor, so he sent Jesus into this world. And Yeshua is his Hebrew name. He's the mediator who stands between man and God. The Bible contains many examples where the course of an entire nation was changed as the result of prayer. And in 1 Timothy 2.1, our prayers are given direction and purpose with an exhortation that, first of all, Paul said, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving should be made for all men, for kings and for all who are in authority. Why? Why does he say that order? So that we may lead, he said, a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So prayer creates a peaceful atmosphere for the gospel and can, of course, result in revival because there are no limits when it comes to intercession. We prayed on the Mount of Olives for revival and God sent me to a revival in Arabia. Prayer can send us to the ends of the earth. But you may never leave your home. You may be old or infirmed, but through prayer, you can travel spiritually to the world to anyone or anywhere in need. Isn't that marvelous? It's exciting. 
To develop a biblical worldview, we also need to monitor the news. Too many believers' heads are buried in the sand because they don't want to face how awful the news is. But as an intercessor, it's important to be informed of current events which affect the spreading of the gospel, and then to pray accordingly for our communities and the nations. And supporting ministries that labor in the harvest fields of the world also helps to develop our biblical worldview. Most assuredly, to have a proper worldview, we must absorb what the Bible teaches about the future of the world. Jesus himself spoke of the end of the world. Jesus taught that he would return to earth for those who are born again believers and take us to a place that he has prepared for us. And when will this happen? Well, no one knows the exact time for sure except God. But Jesus spoke of key events and signs that would alert his followers to know that the time of his appearing is near. He said that after the gospel of the kingdom has been preached to all nations, he will return. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 details his return in the atmosphere known as the rapture. Now, we said many times that the word rapture isn't found in the English Bible, but its meaning is in the other translations of the Bible, meaning to be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. There will be a rapture, which means the act of taking a person from one place to another in the twinkling of an eye. There's going to be a reunion between believers who have died and believers who are alive at the time of the Lord's appearing. And we'll be caught up, raptured, translated, together in the clouds to meet the Lord. It's vital to know that you're ready to go because the rapture could happen at any time. And if you're not sure you're ready, it could be that there's sin in your life and your conscience is not clear. So stay repented up. Then, according to Daniel chapter 9, the great tribulation period of testing and judgment on earth is in the future. And it's going to last for 42 months or 1,260 days. Judgments, catastrophes during the Great Tribulation will be unparalleled according to Jesus. This is why Jesus told us to pray that we would be worthy to escape all that is coming upon the earth in the last days. But let's not forget in the meantime the challenge of Romans 10.13 in the New Testament that only those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Thank you for helping to send us in this ministry. Most of us go through life not recognizing that our personal worldviews have been greatly influenced and diluted by the world through the media and other influences. Yet let's remember that Romans 12, 2 admonishes us not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind by reading this word. Amen. I bless you today as you continue to develop and refine your worldview. 
I pray for blessings upon your life, welfare, and your household, for household salvation. And by the way, we offer a free library of video teachings at our website, exploits.tv, where you can read details about our upcoming anointed prayer conferences in Jerusalem. And if you've been helped by this program or our website, please share your thoughts and prayer needs through the social media. And we invite you to download our free Jerusalem Channel app that tells you about our videos, our eBooks, and it has a Bible reading plan. And so until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Dark. Shalom and Maranatha.